year anniversary where Brian Koberger allegedly killed four college students. Is the cavalry coming to help the alleged Delphi murder suspect? There's some new DNA evidence that uh, testing has been completed on the John Benet Ramsey case. Only took 27 years. And the alleged murder of Tupac wants to go home by Christmas. And then are finally our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below and hit that little bell up there in the corner so that you can receive updates of when we go live or put up new content. And since we just got out of, you know, jail from YouTube and Facebook, we'd appreciate if you did that just to make sure that they didn't kick you out of the old algorithm. All right. Let's go ahead and get to the show. So let's go ahead and open the record for November 13th, 2023. And first on the docket, it has been one year. That's right. Today marks the one year anniversary since four University of Idaho students were stabbed to death in a gruesome home invasion that has obviously grabbed the attention of everyone across the nation. Now, for those who are not familiar with the case, in the early hours of November 13th of 2022, roommates Kaylee Gonsalves, Madison Mogan, and Zaina Kernodal, and Kernodal's boyfriend, Ethan Chapin, were all killed inside the off-campus house there in Moscow, Idaho. Now, two other roommates survived the uh, attack, and after a six-week search for a suspect, uh, 28-year-old Brian Koberger, who is a criminology PhD student at the uh, nearby Washington State University, was finally arrested on December 30th at his family's home in Pennsylvania. Now, one of the surviving roommates said that she woke up around 4 a.m. on November 13th of 2022 from what sounded like Gonzalez playing with her dog in one of the third floor bedrooms. Now, a short time after, the roommate said she heard who she thought was Gonsalves say something to the effect of there's somebody here. That's according to the police affidavits, but that could have been Kernodal on her phone because records show she was on TikTok at about 4.12 a.m. The roommate also said that she looked out of her bedroom but did not see anything when she heard the comment about someone being in the house. She apparently opened her door a second time when she heard what she thought was crying coming from Kernodal's room. The roommate then said that she heard a male voice say something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm going to help you. This is all according to the affidavit. Now, the roommate said that she opened her door again after she heard the crying and then saw a figure in black clothing and had a mask on that covered the person's mouth and nose that was ultimately walking towards her. She described this male as a 5'10", uh, taller, not very muscular, but had an athletic build and very bushy eyebrows. The person walked past her towards the backsliding glass door as the roommate stood in a frozen shock. Now, authorities have reviewed surveillance video from the area, and they believe that they saw a suspect's white Hyundai Elantra go by the victim's home at least three times before entering the area for a fourth time at about 4.04 a.m. Police also say they've traced the car's travel that night back to nearby Pullman, Washington, where, coincidentally, Brian Koberger lived while attending Washington State University. Now, Koberger's phone was tracked heading to uh, the Moscow area before the attack, 
and as the uh, driver of the white Elantra returned to Pullman. However, the phone was turned off between the hours of 2.47 a.m. and 4.48 a.m., which is consistent with Koberger attempting to conceal his location during the quadruple homicide, according to police. Now, his phone was near the victim's house at least 12 times before the murders as far back as August, the police report. Now, DNA evidence from the suspect was also recovered on a knife sheath on Mogan's bed. Now, Koberger is charged with the four counts of first-degree murder and one count of burglary, and he could ultimately face the death penalty if he's convicted. Now, Koberger's lawyers have said that their client wasn't in the home where the homicides took place and was just simply driving around alone that night. Well, back in August, Koberger waived his right to a speedy trial, which kind of indefinitely delays the process. It will definitely go. But that trial for October 2nd that was supposed to go this year uh, has not uh, been rescheduled yet. Anyway, the DNA discovered on the button snap of the knife sheath was found near Mogan's body is a critical uh, piece of evidence for the prosecution. It is what is somewhat a, a circumstantial case. Now, the DNA authorities argue undeniably links Mr. Koberger to the crime scene, saying that the DNA showed a statistical match with a cheek swab taken directly from Koberger after his arrest. Now, Koberg's attorneys have attempted to cast some doubt on the strength of the investigator's evidence and whether it pointed irrefutably to just their client, including the DNA. And the defense has repeatedly asked for more information on the genealogical analysis used to zero in on Koberger, and they've got that uh, from the judge. And the analysis that the DNA is a statistical match will also be challenged. Now, Koberg's attorneys have also highlighted what they call a complete and total lack of DNA evidence, because guess what? There's no DNA from any of the victims in Mr. Koberger's home or car. Now, of course, the police say that he bleached his car and cleaned his residence. That's why we wouldn't do it. And of course, you must also remember the knife used in the murder has not yet been recovered. And we've also learned through unsealed search warrants that investigators are going through records of Amazon purchases and a click history data for an Amazon customer, including all detailed customer click activity pertaining to knives and accessories, as well as a long list of information that could possibly flush out uh, the customer's full shopping movements and interests on the site, like items that maybe they were looking to purchase or maybe get at a later date. And obviously what prosecutors are trying to do is link Koberger to the purchase of the missing knife that could have obviously, uh, they believe, been used in the killing. That'll certainly help their case. Now, the question then becomes, what do we know about the two other roommates that survived? Now, the first one was Dylan Mortensen, and the other one is Bethany Funk. And they were both home when Brian Koberger allegedly snuck into the house uh, there on uh, November 13th. Now, Mortensen even apparently came face to face with the killers just moments after uh, the uh, killings, according to uh, authorities that uh, she figured the, the figure was clad in black clothing and had a mask that walked toward her just after 4 a.m. Now, the two women were also allegedly texting each other while the murders were allegedly happening and received an onslaught of uh, online hatred after it was revealed that no one called 911 for several hours after the quadruple slain took place. Since then, the two roommates were uh, spared uh, and have uh, kept to themselves. Now, Mortensen has been uh, quite 
isolated, according to her family and friends, and Funk has kept an even lower profile and now lives out of state. She has only been heard from uh, when her attorneys filed a motion earlier this year to dismiss a subpoena that would force her to testify as part of the murder suspect Brian Koberger's uh, defense. Now, Miss Funk, uh, however, later agreed to sit down for an interview with Brian Koberger's attorney, and it's unclear if this happened or what came of it, but she apparently did sit down and for an interview. I say good for her. Now, it's still a mystery why Mortensen and Funk took so long to call the police on the night of the uh, slains. We don't know if it is uh, an issue maybe of intoxication or fear, or maybe they just didn't know anything had really taken place. That was kind of a party house where people came and left and came and left and partied, even when the home residents weren't there. So it wasn't necessarily something where you would get surprised if somebody came in the house. Anyway, well, anyway, back in December, Mortensen and Funk uh, apparently got matching tattoos on the back of their elbows to honor their murdered roommates. The first letter of each of their friends' uh, first name surrounded by angel wings. Mortensen said her four roommates changed the way that she looks at life. And uh, Miss Funk wrote that the victims were all gifts to the world in her own special way, and it will never be the same without them. Is the accused Delphi murder suspect going to get some help? Well, looks like it. Remember, Richard Allen is the uh, suspect and is accused of killing Libby German and Abby Williams in Delphi, Indiana, back on February of 2017. And he is set to stand trial next October. Now, Allen's original defense attorneys withdrew from the case just before a hearing last month in Fort Wayne, Indiana. One of the attorneys then filed a motion requesting that the judge, Judge Fran Gull, uh, be removed, saying that she pressured him into withdraw and that the move was not voluntarily done. Now, Judge Gall claimed that the disqualification was necessary due to gross negligence related to a leak of evidence. Well, on October 27th, the court appointed Fort Wayne attorneys Robin Screeman and William Labrado to represent Mr. Allen. Now, in court filings filed on Allen's behalf, he requested that his original attorneys be added back to his defense team. Now, the Indiana Public Defenders Council uh, said on Friday to the Indiana Supreme Court that they should step in and reinstate Allen's original attorneys. The uh, Public Defenders Council filed a brief with the court arguing that the removal of the attorneys wasn't handled properly and has the potential to undermine the case. Now, here's a good summary of their argument from their brief. As a final point, Although this brief focuses on statutes and procedures designed to protect the independence of defense counsel, we should not lose sight of the person most affected. Public defenders do extraordinary, life-changing work every day in courtrooms around the state. Mr. Allen was pleased with the work his initially appointed public defenders, Mr. Allen, and the public that funded his defense should be entitled to more than vague and broad concerns about gross negligence and that a judge cannot and will not allow these attorneys to represent you. I can't do it, sir. I just can't. Such statements do not engender confidence in the criminal justice system for criminal defendants, many of whom believe that the appointed counsel is not a real lawyer, but a public pretender or a lawyer who works for the state. When followed, the statutes and decision 
constitutional law outlined above provides some means to dispel these misconceptions. When not followed, the trust and rapport developed during the full year of intensive representation is lost, and Mr. Allen is left to wait nine additional months incarcerated in the Department of Corrections under conditions that he and his counsel of choice have stated undermine his ability to prepare his defense. Now, this is significant, okay? Obviously, we not, have not seen the transcript of what took place between Judge Gull and Mr. Allen's attorneys. But for an attorney to be told that you're getting off this case uh, now or I will tell the public what you did, okay, the defense attorney should have said, bring it on, judge. But I understand small community. Um, the judge is telling you you're off the case. You're kind of ambushed about it. You don't know what to do. I get it. The attorneys have since gone back with the blessing of Mr. Allen saying, put me back on the case. Now, here's what I don't like the way judge did it. If she thought that there was something so egregious that these attorneys did, then there's a procedure for that. It's called a grievance. But Mr. Allen, although he's not entitled to counsel of his choice when he's represented by the public defender's office, like he can't say, I picked this one and this one normally. But in this particular case, it seems as though the judge was the one that created the conflict, if there is even a conflict of interest in this particular case. And yes, it does undermine the judicial system when basically what it appears to be is that, hey, this guy, Richard Allen, accused of killing two young girls in a highly publicized case, had the audacity to have his attorneys put on a zealous defense. It looks as though the court's saying, we can't have that. How dare you question the police in any way whatsoever? Well, there is a place to test that. It's called court, with legal and competent evidence, the cross-examination that takes place, the greatest truth-seeking tool ever created. So it looks a little fishy when the judge just says, we're going to get rid of this particular case. I don't like it. And I think the attorney should be put back on the case unless and until I see something differently in that particular transcript. If it's so bad, they should be grieved. They should have their law license removed, not just terminated from the case because they're being zealous advocates. Looks bad, Judge Gull. I, I think the Indiana Supreme Court is going to um, change the judge's mind. Next on the docket, John Bonet. Yes, the John Bonet Ramsey case. Well, a crime lab has completed new DNA testing on evidence in the Jean Benet Ramsey case, and the authorities hope that the latest technology will finally help them find the killer of the six-year-old beauty queen and solve one of the most notorious unsolved mysteries. Now, the evidence, some of which was previously examined while other pieces were new, was sent off two months ago and has finally been returned to the police with the detailed DNA report, according to some law enforcement sources. Now, the results have not been released, and the mystery has baffled investigators and obviously the public since it began back on December 26, 1996, when John Bonet's desperate family reported that she was missing. Her father, John Ramsey, found his daughter's body in the basement of their Boulder home seven hours later. She had been strangled. A garrote was found around her neck. She also had a broken skull from a blow to the back of the head, and an autopsy stated her official cause of death was asphyxia by strangulation. A handwritten ransom note was also found at the scene. Now, the Boulder Police Department is now collaborating with the FBI, the District Attorney's Office, the Colorado Department of Public Safety, and the Colorado Bureau of Investigation to solve this case. There is apparently evidence that was taken from the crime scene that has never been tested for DNA, and there are a few cutting-edge labs that have the latest technology, and that's where the testing 
is to be done. We'll see if they finally come up with something. Now, of course, CBI may have some issues, so hopefully they didn't test the evidence there, but I guess we'll hopefully find out soon if there's going to be an arrest, if somebody's DNA comes up in some sort of match, whether some gene genealogical uh, DNA, we'll have to wait and see. Next on the docket, that's right, the Tupac murder suspect. That's right, I got that right. Tupac murder suspect wants to be home for Christmas. That's right, the prime suspect in Tupac Shakur's murder plans to spend Christmas at, at home in Nevada as his lawyers prepare his bail application. This is according to a friend of Dwayne Keith, Keefe D. Davis. He's also the former Southern California street gang leader who was arrested in September on suspicion of orchestrating the uh, Las Vegas drive-by shooting that killed old Tupac Shakur 27 years ago. Now, his public defender said that they intend to file this motion for uh, a bond, but nothing has been filed yet. Let's just get something straight here. Old Keefe D. couldn't afford to hire private counsel. He's not going to make any bond that's going to be set in a homicide case. Remember, the court needs to consider danger to the community and flight risk. Also consider the strength of the case against the defendant. That goes to the flight risk aspect of it. Old Keefe D has basically confessed to being there, has made lots of admissions, and didn't have enough sense to keep his mouth shut or save a few bucks to get out. If a bond is going to be set and it'll be high, He's not making it. Oh, Keefe D, this is my prediction. I don't even need the Magic 8-Ball for this. He doesn't. He's not getting a bond. Maybe we'll just ask the Magic 8-Ball. Let's see. Will Keefe D get a bond that he can make and get out and be home before Christmas? Magic 8-Ball says, ask again later. Okay, even Magic 8-Ball. Doubt, doubtful. As a pet owner, you want to give your furry friend the very best. That's why Baked in Colorado's CBD-infused dog treats are the perfect choice. These delicious treats not only taste great, but they also provide a wide range of health benefits for your pet. CBD has been shown to have many positive effects on dogs, including reducing anxiety, alleviating pain and inflammation, and improving overall wellness. Baked in Colorado's treats are infused with premium, full-spectrum CBD oil, meaning your pet will benefit from the whole plant extract. Not only that, but Baked in Colorado's treats are made with all-natural human-grade ingredients so you can feel good about what you're giving your pet. They're also free from wheat, corn, and soy, making them a great option for dogs with food sensitivities. Baked in Colorado CBD-infused dog treats are the perfect way to support your pet's health and well-being. With various flavors, including peanut butter, pumpkin, and bacon, your dog will love them too. So why wait? Head to www.bakedincolorado.com today and order your dog a bag of these delicious and nutritious treats. Your pet will thank you for it. Next on the docket, our dumb criminal of the day. Please meet Fabio Fonseca of Deerfield Beach, Florida. He was arrested on retail theft and felony drug charges. Gee, that's funny. You ever notice the theft guys, the burglary guys, the car pilferer guys always seem to have drugs on them? You're starting to notice a bit of a pattern here, ladies and gentlemen. You don't have to be a high rep learner to start figuring out these patterns that exist. It takes place over and over again. But yet some people just don't ever see the pattern. I don't know. And on a side note, did you see there's an article in the Wall Street Journal this week where Oregon basically decriminalized all drugs and now they're regretting it and they want to change it back. Interesting read. 
just something to think about. Back to the dumb criminal of the day, Fabio Fonseca. He is um, a man that apparently told deputies that he had to meet his $300 daily theft quota. So he began to take uh, orders from people willing to buy stolen items. Now, Mr. Fonseca told deputies that he had to meet at least a $300 daily quota of theft. So he began to take orders from people willing to buy stolen items. And he did that by traveling across county lines to do so, according to the sheriff. Among some of the items pilfered, including beauty products, toys, suitcases, an air freshener, uh, toiletries, uh, clothes, and squishmallows. Fonseca was uh, described as a traveling secret retail thief by the sheriff's office because he would walk into the local retail stores and act like he was a superstar secret shopper. Well, except the secret was he was stealing to fulfill his orders from people that knew that he was going to go steal something and then pay a, you know, 50 cents, 10 cents on the dollar for whatever he was stealing. But he had to get his quota of $300 a day. And if he does that seven days a week, that's $2,100 per week times 4800 for two weeks. My gosh. Or he could just go get a job because now he's going to go to jail, maybe possibly prison. Mr. Fonseca, you are a dumb criminal of the day. That's all we have for you today. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.